hearts for the sermon with the Old Testament scripture reading from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Hear God's word. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your hearts turn away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your length, life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob to give to them. Let's pray. O merciful God, grant that your church, being gathered together in unity by your Holy Spirit, may show forth your power among all peoples to the glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sermon text this evening comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 13. I invite you to either open your Bible there to the first nine verses or look in your worship order where you will find the, uh, the sermon text printed out for you. Luke chapter 13, 1 through 9. If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. The word of God reads, there were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, 
Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. And that is the word of the Lord Jesus. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. Well, I trust that you are all doing well and at least doing well enough to be here this evening. I want to thank Bo and Rob for preaching in my place over the last couple of weeks. It was a nice respite. It's a good chance for me to kind of settle my heart and mind and then come back into Luke 13 of all places and deal with a very uh, sensitive topic, the topic of repentance. But I trust and pray that God's spirit will be with us and we will get through this passage this evening coming out better on the other side than we are going into it from this side. Over the last couple of months, I have been on a Beatles kick ever since I saw James Corden and Paul McCartney doing their car karaoke on the Late Late Show. I've been on a Beatles kick and I've gone back to revisit the music of my childhood and I've listened to Abbey Road again and again. It's the go to soundtrack in my car at this time. But one of my favorite Beatles songs is on the Sgt. Pepper's album. You will know it if you know the Beatles music. You will know it as the song A Day in the Life. And it begins, I read the news today, oh boy, about a lucky man who made the grade. And though the news was rather sad, well, I just had to laugh. I saw the photograph. And among other things, this song tells us something about the way people respond to news. We respond to the daily news in different ways. What makes one person sad makes another person laugh or happy. That's the kind of thing we see happening in this story in Luke 13. On this occasion, in Jesus' ministry, Jesus is asked to share his thoughts on the horrific tragedy involving the massacre of worshipers at Jerusalem. That is where the temple and the altar were, and that's where God's people went to offer their sacrifices. We learn that it was Pilate, the governor, who was responsible for the massacre of these worshipers. And so for those who think that Pilate was just a man who was caught in the wrong place at the wrong time during that moment in Jesus' life, just know that this was a wicked, evil man and that he had blood on his hands no matter how much he tried to wash them symbolically in the presence of the people. He had the blood of these Galilean worshipers on his hand, mixed their blood with their sacrifices. Luke's way of talking about their massacre. Now, when the people brought this up to Jesus, they brought it up knowing that this is a hypersensitive matter involving a violent clash of politics and religion. But for Jesus, it's also something very personal and relevant Those who told Jesus about Pilate's violent actions were not just informing Jesus of the daily news around the water cooler. 
They were warning Jesus about the serious threat and danger that awaited him in Jerusalem. If he continued traveling up to Jerusalem, this is the kind of fate he could meet. He was, after all, a Galilean, a man from the region of Galilee. He was, after all, a man going up to Jerusalem during a festival, a time of worship. And apparently Pilate had something against people from Galilee. And so at least some of his followers seem to have hoped that by sharing this news of the violent massacre in Jerusalem, that Jesus would be deterred from making the same mistakes that those Galileans had made in going up to Jerusalem. I take you back a few weeks ago in our study of Luke, where we saw that Jesus had talked about and forecasted the fact that he's going up to Jerusalem where he expected to be arrested and abused and eventually put to death by the religious and political leaders in Jerusalem. And Luke tells us at the end of Luke 9 that Jesus set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. In other words, nothing from that point on would deter him. Jesus had predicted his own suffering and death twice before determining to go up to Jerusalem. And so the point of all of this is that Jesus knew exactly what he was getting into by going there. And he refused to back down. His response to the breaking news of the day was as shocking then as as it is now. His, his response was, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? His answer is no, they were not worse sinners. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And to make sure that Jesus heard him, or make sure that everyone heard him loud and clear, Jesus repeats another story and ends with the same exhortation. He talks about 18 people who died when a tower in Siloam fell on them. And Jesus points out they didn't die because they were more guilty than everyone else in Jerusalem. But the way we should respond to the news is repent or perish. And so in response to these tragedies and calamities, Jesus is teaching his hearers and his followers a way to respond to the daily news from the depth of their soul. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. Notice he repeats this twice. He wants to get the point across that every one of you, every one of us must change or face condemnation. Now, on the surface of things, it seems that Jesus is approaching the daily news in an existentially cold and aloof kind of way that he is not phased at all by human tragedy. And those who think that way about Jesus don't know him very well, do they? The whole point of Jesus life and mission is to say that he does feel and experience and identify with the suffering of his people. The gospel story shows us that Jesus feels the same sorrows and pains of human tragedy so deeply that he enters into our story as the God man, not only to show us the way out of tragedy, but also to show us that things will eventually be set right. In other words, he has come to put things to right to fix what is broken. 
In this particular story, Jesus warns that repentance is the escape route from destruction. And it's also the entryway into salvation. Keep that in mind. It is the escape route from destruction, but it is the entryway into salvation. Tom Wright says in his commentary and commenting on this story, interpreting this story, that this story shines like a light in a dark place. He says, Jesus is making it clear that those who refuse his summons to change direction, to abandon the crazy flight into national rebellion against Rome, will suffer the consequences. Those who take the sword will perish with the sword, or if not the sword, they will be crushed by buildings in Jerusalem as the Roman siege brings them crashing down. I'm sad to report that only a few years after Jesus uttered this prophetic warning, all of these things came to pass. In other words, rather than repent and believe the good news, rather than follow the way of the cross, the Jewish people persisted in their rebellion and their stubborn refusal to repent. They followed their own way and broke out and revolted against imperial Rome and the Roman Empire responded with extreme military prejudice. Swords were drawn, blood was spilled, stones were busted and buildings were smashed. Because of their stubborn refusal to repent, to turn and trust the Lord Jesus Christ, their whole world came to a bloody and fiery end. They perished not only in this life, but also in the life to come, just as Jesus had warned. That is what the parable of the fig tree is all about. Jerusalem was a fruitless and lifeless tree. And God was patient with her and gave her time to repent and worked around her and dug around her and fertilized her. And yet she refused to bear the fruit of repentance. And so she was cut down in judgment. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And that's what this story and parable has to do with us. The prophetic warnings uttered by Jesus apply to each and every person in this room. We may weep, we may lament, we may mourn over breaking news of terrible world conditions, but that is not enough. We may grieve and lament over the news of Catholic priests who abuse a thousand children under their care. We may grieve and lament and mourn over the shootings that took place in Chicago this weekend. 41 wounded, 5 killed. We may grieve, lament, and mourn over a train wreck in Fort Worth. We may be shocked and sickened by all of this news and more, but we must not stop there. Worldly sorrow is natural. It leads to remorse. It leads to regret. But it leads to death for some. Godly sorrow is a grace that leads to repentance and to life. Tim Keller explains it this way. Repentance out of mere fear is really sorrow for the consequences of sin. Sorrow over the danger of sin. It bends the will away from sin, but the heart still clings. 
But repentance out of conviction over mercy is really sorrow over sin, sorrow over the grievousness of sin. It melts the heart away from sin. It makes sin itself disgusting to us. So it loses its attractive power over us. When we hear the news about a political scam in D.C. or a sex scandal in the church or a violent shooting in a major city or a bonfire, a blazing fire that goes out of control in a state or we hear about train wrecks. We should pause and examine our hearts to see if there is anything that we need to repent of in our own life. If there is anything that we need to repent of, like idolizing money or sex or power or things. When we hear the news about the persecution of Christians around the world, we should pause and examine ourselves to see why our lives are so peaceful and quiet. Is it because we have kept our faith to ourselves? Is it because we have accommodated our faith to the world around us? Is it because we've compromised so much? Is it because we are being assimilated by the world spirit? Why do others suffer and yet we live peaceful and quiet lives? When we hear the news more times than not, more often than not, We should pause and say, there, but for the grace of God, go I. All truth is God's truth. And God works through a variety of means to get his point across to us. Even something as ordinary and mundane as the daily news can awaken us to the nastiness of our own sins. To the negligence of our own heart and mind and to the necessity of repenting. Each and every day of each and every one of our sins. But what is repentance without a definition of repentance? What does it mean to repent? What does it mean to practice repentance? Repentance is about change. It's about a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of life. The Westminster Confession of Faith puts it like this. Repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. The doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel as well as that of faith in Christ. By repentance, a sinner out of the sight and sense not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins As contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ to such as are penitent. A sinner so grieves for and hates his sin as to turn from them all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. In other words, repentance is a gospel grace that changes the way we feel about doing wrong. And it changes the way we feel about doing right. Repentance moves us to hate the dangers and the disgust of our disobedience and disregard of God's law. And repentance moves us to love the Lord our God and his law with all of our heart mind, soul, and body. Mass shootings, 
religious persecutions, construction accidents are all terrible tragedies that affect us all. But take it from Jesus. Far worse things await unrepentant sinners, unchanged sinners than these tragedies. Far worse things await the unrepentant at the judgment seat of God in the world to come. Throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus has been preaching repentance. You might not have heard it every week or every time we preach. But were you to read the gospel of Luke, you will hear Jesus preaching repentance. His ministry and his mission are summarized in this call to repentance. He came to change the world by turning people around and by turning them back to the way of the Lord. In Luke 5, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He warns even the most religious people about the dangers and consequences of not changing their life. In Luke 10, to those who claim to be God's covenant people, Jesus said, Woe to you, religious people, woe to you, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in a not-so-religious community, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for the not-so-religious communities than for you. And will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. And Jesus said in Luke 11, the men of Nineveh rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And finally, Jesus said in Luke 12, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. And so you see, repent and perish is not a one-off message from Jesus. It is a summary of his gospel. John Calvin, reflecting on the tragedies and troubles affecting the world and the church in his day, Acknowledge that although God has a secret purpose for all things, including heartbreak tragedies, heartbreaking tragedies, we do not always know or understand what his purpose is. But instead of leaving his hearers to grope around in a fatalistic mist, Calvin echoed Jesus and proclaimed the good news of repentance in this way. Let us not give way to despair like those who have become so grieved and full of lamentation that they refuse the remedy of consolation in God. Rather, let us confess our sins, knowing that our Savior has not ceased to pour out His blessings upon us, even though we have sinned. Then, in the midst of our sorrows, let us recognize all our offenses so that He may show Himself merciful to us, as he always has done to those who clearly take refuge in him. We should take these words to heart. When Jesus calls us to repent or perish, he is calling us to turn away from destruction and turn to deliverance. 
to stay dressed and ready for action because he is bringing judgment and casting fire on the earth. But the good news is that Jesus is the true and better Galilean who suffered under Pontius Pilate in our place in order to spare us from suffering whose blood was mingled with his own sacrifice in order to, sa- to save us from our sins, who was crushed under the weight of divine judgment in order to deliver us from evil, who perished in the hell of the cross to keep us from crossing over to perish in hell, who was cut off that we might be grafted in, whose cross became a fruitful tree for the life of the world. Jesus calls us to turn away from the one who destroys and turn to the one who delivers. Repent or perish. Way back in the day when I was still a newlywed and just a cocky ministry student, some fellow students and I used to sit around during our coffee breaks between classes and We would try to think of new ways to say old things. We would read a scripture and try to think of a new way to say that old scripture. And this scripture came up quite often. Repent or perish became turn or burn. Cry or fry. Obey or saute. It seemed much funnier during those coffee breaks between those late afternoon classes. In retrospect, we were making light of a very heavy matter. And it really isn't funny at all, is it? As we heard in the Old Testament scripture reading from Deuteronomy 30 before the sermon, repent or perish is a shorthand reminder of the covenant of blessing and curses. The blessings of forgiveness and life and good For all who repent. But the curses of death and evil and judgment for all who do not repent. We must repent or perish. Westminster Confession explains our need to repent like this. Although repentance should not be rested in as any satisfaction for sin or any cause of the pardon of sins, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ alone. Yet repentance is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. Repentance is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. You must repent or perish. Well, today the Lord Jesus Christ sets before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God And listen to his voice and hold fast to Christ, for the Lord is your life. And to end now on a very, very happy note. 
as there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation. So there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. Shall I say it again? As there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation. So there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. And we urge you with all your heart, repent of your sins so that times of refreshment may come to you from the Lord and so that he may send to you the Christ who is appointed to come and rescue all of his people.